Hello and welcome to the Renee Report. Celebrating these life goals, but you ain't getting no ride home. I be riding through the town, my music now. Windows down, yeah, you can hear me now. I turn it up, I need that bass. And my chainsaw, I can't see my face. I be riding through the town, town, town. I be riding through the town. Today's episode, we're going to be going over Kawhi Leonard's decision finally being in the books, exactly the OKC Thunder got in return for Paul George, as well as the Home Run Derby, the Women's World Cup, Summer League takeaways, and last but not least, where exactly we believe that Russell Westbrook will be heading. Or me, I don't know why I said a we. <laughs> and foremost i just want to say i'm glad to be back and have the podcast in full swing i hope everyone had a lovely fourth of july but the break is now over i'll be returning to my schedule of making at least three podcasts a week and one renee cap a week as well and a recap excuse me we last spoke obviously some huge news took place and Kawhi leonard finally made his decision where he decided to go to the los angeles not lakers where everyone assumed he was going but the clippers who he wanted to go to all along also finally figured out why Kawhi Leonard took as long as he did to make his decision and that he was not just waiting for the limelight and you know just being the last person to make the decision he was in fact waiting for Paul George to see whether he could make OKC trade him to Toronto and play with him there or he would do what he did now which was go to the Clippers and have Paul George traded there the Los Angeles Clippers are sending shy Alexander Gilchrist, who's super good and talented point guard, going to be great for the OKC Thunder once Russell Westbrook leaves specifically. And then they also gave up four first-round unprotected picks, which is just unbelievable. One unprotected pick and then two pick swaps as well. So Personally, this is the most picks I've ever seen one team receive for one person. So to be fair, Paul George is someone who did come in third in the MVP race this year. Easily could have been the defensive player of the year, in my opinion, averaging over two and a half steals a game. And paired up with Kawhi Leonard, who is a my well, no, is the best two-way player in the entire league. I mean, they have two top three two-way players in the NBA. So obviously, that's worth the entire farm, apparently, from the Los Angeles Clippers perspective. To just be relevant now and give Kawhi the partner he's wanted all along. Pretty insane about this trade is that the Los Angeles Clippers didn't really have to give up, I mean, any players on their current roster. So they maintained all of their depth and all of these role players other than Shy and Danilo Gallinari, who did have a great season last year. They maintained guys, excuse me, like Patrick Beverly, Leb Monterez Harrell. Um, Lou Williams, obviously, sixth man of the year for like the fourth time. It's going to be a really talented team, obviously in a stacked Western Conference, so you wonder how far they can go that first year as teams usually take a little bit, regardless of talent, as we see in Miami with LeBron and Wade. It just seems like you need at least a year and a half to two years to really have your team at full potential. But then again, we see that Kawhi won with Toronto after only being there for one year, so I guess he kind of disproves it. Or is the S factor to to make that kind of null and void? 
Let's quickly go over for the two teams that missed out on Kawhi Leonard. Obviously, they waited so long to figure out his decision. So what exactly does this mean for the Raptors and the Los Angeles Lakers? The Raptors' perspective, they could have done a really big trade and, you know, tried to get Paul George and Kawhi there, but it just seemed like Toronto wasn't really his long-term fit. And, you know, they're still going to be really, really good in an Eastern Conference that is not that strong. They still have Pascal, who's going to improve a lot more and get a chance to be a number one option. Van Fleet not getting paid pretty much anything for the next two seasons. Still think they'll finish atop the East anywhere from the third seed if they have a really good season and Kyle Lowry really shows up. Or they could be anywhere as low to like the sixth seed in the East. But either way, they'll make the playoffs and have a pretty good year. Mostly due to Kyle Lowry already being a relatively good regular season player. And then just the overall depth as well as OG and Anobi returning next season. The flip side of that is the Los Angeles Lakers who striked out in a huge way. And it's a big double whammy because, I mean, they were rumored to get Paul George all along to come to L.A., and apparently the reports were correct. It just turns out just like Brooklyn and the New York Knits, it's not the L.A. team that people were expecting. Lakers can now fill out their roster properly as if they signed Kawhi, they would have had no money. And it really wouldn't have made sense from perspective of trying to win this season. Obviously, they would have had a great big three, but I just don't know who else they would have signed. So they did sign guys like Danny Green. I mean, 15 mil a year seems like a bit much, but he is a great player. They just really need a third star and to convince someone to come to the Lakers and show Anthony Davis within that year that he's going to sign an extension that they can really allure some better talent and finally he should have the support he deserves, which he currently does not have, even on the Lakers. The subject of the NBA, I just want to quickly speak on how interesting I think that the Goliath of the NBA, the Golden State Warriors, now being injured, losing depth, and the key cog and Andre Iguodala getting to the Grizzlies and attempting to make a really weird pairing of two all-star point guards somehow work together in a year where they don't, won't have their second or third best player who's now permanently gone. It's really interesting how NBA teams have now become very aggressive and more interesting is the effect that it's had on the loyalty an organization has to a player and vice versa teams like OKC willing to trade someone in Russell Westbrook who's been there for 11 straight seasons and done nothing but bring people into the stands constantly and put on a show for the people that he said he would put a show for. He's never someone who's talked about leaving and he always talks about how much the city means to him and now we hear reports that he's open to being traded and basically telling them if you're willing to put me in a trade then you might as well just trade my ass. Just a bit sad to see as a diehard NBA fan, for all these guys like Kemba, Russell Westbrook, and others who seem to try and maintain their loyalty throughout their careers. And it seems like they've actually kind of, you know, just crossed themselves because at the end of the day, it's still a business. And guys like Kemba and Russell Westbrook, although amazing and will bring people into the seats, unfortunately, it doesn't seem like their organizations at the end of the day really care about them more than the money they bring in. If it's just more of a what have you done for me lately type of situation. And they seem to forget all the great things they've done and all the sacrifices they've made throughout their entire career to maintain being in a Charlotte, to maintain being in an Oklahoma City. I mean, no one wants to be there who's, a, who's that big of a star in either of their cases. Just crazy to think these organizations wouldn't be thankful and try and, you know, rebuild and retool instead of just getting rid of them and just kicking them to the curb the first second any friction comes up.
also seems like players are much more vocal and not afraid to force their way out of situations like we saw with Jimmy Butler basically his whole career and then also just recently from the 76ers to the Miami Heat. And I wonder if this is all an overreaction to the false sense of weakness that everyone feels Golden State has when in reality I think once they get the value for D'Angelo Russell because they'll end up trading him, they'll have Klay Thompson re-sign Draymond Green and they already have some depth back from last season so I, I honestly just don't think Golden State is quite done I think a lot of teams are overreacting. And more interesting is now over 50% of the almost 50% of the NBA league and all the players have been signed this offseason so you just wonder for the teams that have struck out like OKC, Wizards, lower tier teams like what what maintains them from not doing what the 76ers did and just like tanking for the next three to four seasons to try and get better with a bunch of Zions rather than trying to attract guys like Kevin Durant who are just going to last second post on their Instagram where they want to go and not even like announce it to their team like all these teams like the New York Knicks and you know all these crazy have all these crazy thoughts that they can land these guys and just kind of convince themselves of it and then you know find themselves short at the short end of the stick when they just you know say oh I wasn't even trying to go to the Knicks ever it's like why were they pursuing you for three seasons, you know? Makes you think and also realize why these teams like the Knicks, Detroit Pistons, the Charlotte Hornets, and the Washington Wizards maintain at the lower echelon of the league and never really uh, spike. Like, they have their years definitely where they show up and years where they're way worse, but they never are consistently where they need to be at and still just seem to hold on to guys like Bradley Beal and John Wall for no reason. Either way, this is one of the best NBA off-seasons I've ever witnessed in my life. Just super excited for when the NBA season rolls back around and the fact that we still have the summer league, so we still have basketball to watch even when it's all over. Doesn't get much better than that. One thing that does get a little better than that is that the U.S. women's soccer team went up against the Netherlands the other day and defeated them 2-0 for their second time in a row winning the World Cup. Honestly, just watching this final game, it just really made me wish that they did the brackets correctly or they changed the seating or whatever they had to do to make it that France was not the team that we would meet in the quarterfinals and would be the team that we met in the finals on the other end of the bracket. And for me watching it and just from a statistical standpoint, I mean, the Netherlands have one shot on target the entire game and we had two goals. So it's just... Unless they had some crazy set piece, I mean, literally had less shots on target than we had goals. Like, we dominated the possession with 54%. This felt like it wasn't a game from the very beginning. Like, we played a little sloppy, we gave them chances, but it was clear that we were better and that they were just worried and just waiting for the inevitable when we put a goal in the back of the net. Also had another problem with the game, which was that the female ref who was calling the game to be very biased to keep the Netherlands in the game by just giving little penalties and just avoiding Alex Morgan getting beat up for basically the first 30 minutes of the match and just avoiding all these big hits and cheap shots that the Netherlands were giving and then calling us on little nitpicky stuff, giving them good free kits and better positioning. She missed a penalty kick on Alex Morgan and they had to go back on VAR to, re to review it and it was a high kick that came all the way up to her shoulder. Like, how do you... A high kick is anything that's, like, above, like, your belly button. It was, like, a full foot higher than that. 
and the ref looks directly at it and just goes, nope, I don't think that's a penalty. Thank God VAR or VR was like a thing and is a thing. The ability to overrule shitty refs, but it's just kind of embarrassing to help out one team that much when it's a World Cup final and you know the entire world is watching. Like, I just think the U.S. deserved to win that game, and I'm glad they brought it home in really good, spectacular fashion. I just, I don't know, I think that ref needs to kind of reflect a little bit and realize, like, how the game is going, you just got to call the game fair, and especially on a stage as big as the World Cup final. So many people are coming in to view it, and, you know, they don't watch soccer quite as much, so they get really really impressioned by watching these games and think, oh, they call... you know, fouls every five seconds, and they just, I don't know, it just gives a bad representation to the people who don't watch a lot of games, and they tune in for big ones like this, and just watch disappointing stuff like that. U.S. men also had a final, the Gold Cup versus Mexico, where we saw them get dominated on the ball, Mexico had 57% possession, they just didn't seem to be up for the task overall, but we do have a really young squad who's going to get a lot better. Versus the women have a bunch of veterans and a lot of women that are just frankly in their primes. So I just, I mean, I think in the next four years, the men's team will really improve. And I assume the women's team will at least lose some of their players, but still be really dominant, no doubt. Speaking on baseball, the home run derby took place last night on the 8th, and it was an epic night. The league is in scary good hands between 20-year-old phenoms Acuna and specifically in the power department, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who hits home runs with ease. He hit 29 in the first round, he hit 29 in the second round, and he hit 37 in a shootout versus Jock Peterson, which was just spectacular to watch. Fortunately, regardless of his age, with all those home runs that he hit and all the power he puts into him, it did make sense that he lost in the final because he kind of gassed himself out after all those damn home runs worth mentioning that Acuna was super impressive because of how, how easy he made it with his 180 pound frame and just he hit the ball all over the place versus just hitting it to the left or just the right just kind of scattered all the home runs and really showed his versatility as a hitter again both of them were only 20 years old so it's just the league is in really good hands and honestly all of sports just has a lot of young and up-and-coming stars mainly from our generation or my generation and it's just awesome to watch back over to the topic of the NBA, some key free agent acquisitions. Quinn Cook for 6 mil over 2 years to the Lakers. I mean, that hurts Golden State very bad. And wow, I mean, what a bargain for one hell of a role player. Just a very good pickup for the Lakers. And it's really going to fill a hole at shooting guard that they definitely needed to figure out. Danny Green will obviously get a lot of minutes. Well, as they signed KCP or Contavious Caldwell Pope to an eight mil a year contract, I mean we saw his three pointer dip last season to under thirty five percent, as well as he's had three years of over thirty two minutes a game and never gotten over fourteen points per game. It just seemed like a waste of money for a team that doesn't have that much money at thirty mil, but he is a really good defender. The interesting part is that Danny Green, the new acquisition, Quinn Cook, and Codwell Pope all play that shooting guard role. So it's just really interesting because all these guys demand minutes for different reasons. So it'll be interesting to see who gets it and at what times. And at the end of the day, who's going to play in the big moments and when the game comes to the wire. 
you assume it would probably be Danny Green and then Quinn Cook, for sure. The free agent who took his time was Marcus Morris, who waited to try and get his bag and get some money. And he did get 10 mil a year from the San Antonio Spurs, and he did accept it. But it seems like he might be not going through with that contract, and maybe the Knicks could swoop in and pay him a little bit more. So that obviously stay in tune with. But it seems for now at least, as well as I'm aware, that, that the Spurs got Marcus Morris, who is, again, one hell of a role player for the Celtics the last few years, has an amazing mid-range jumper, is a really gr- gritty player who just plays hard every possession, and is just a lot of fun to watch, and another guy who brings people into the seats for sure. Moving on to the NBA, the next NBA topic was the Summer League takeaways. And I just think I, it definitely has to be noted that every single time that Taco Fall, of course the 6'7 center from UCF with a, with a 10-2 wingspan. Yes, that's correct. I literally had to check that four times because I just didn't believe it. Still don't really believe it. Every single time he steps on the court, he gets an applause. And I mean, there's no wonder why. He was perfect in his last game, 5 for 5 on 11 minutes. Gets rebounds with ease. Scores with ease, really moves well considering his size, and has been very impressive for the Celtics. Where I thought honestly it was just kind of a desperate, you know, make sure we have depth at the latter half of the center position, but it seems to be more than that, and he might really secure a spot on this roster. Uh, my guess with that would be that he gets a two year contract with the C's, and that he is really changing his life within like the next three weeks in Summer League just because of the amount of hype that surrounds him every single time he gets on the court. And his play also backs up that hype. The Celtic, who has really been impressing, and I've talked about plenty of times on the podcast, is produced Carson Edwards, has been lighting up the summer league, hitting contested shots, playing gritty defense, improving a lot of the haters already wrong. But the biggest takeaway from the last few days certainly has to be Lonnie Walker, the fourth, Got 36 points and 6 rebounds and frankly made it look easy. I mean, admittingly, it is the summer league, but it's still good to see that his stroke is back after his injuries, and he seems to be back to the same explosive, very quick-to-shoot player that I love to see him be. Overall, it's just good to still have basketball to watch and that we can still watch these young guys develop. It's frustrating to see P.J. Williams from the Hornets not be able to play due to an injury but not least, Dwayne Bacon has definitely been playing really well for the Hornets, but there's no one else really on that summer league team, so it's basically all him, but he has done a really good job and continues to improve and maintain a role on that team. I do want to end this episode off on a bang with the report that Russell Westbrook has requested a trade. He's making $38 million a year, or no, excuse me, $38 million this year. And by the end of his contract, he's going to be making $47 million. In the 2022-23 season, his contract is worth approximately $200 million. And he's, I mean, he's had no playoff success, even with Paul George. Difficulty playing with even great teammates, as I just mentioned, like Paul George or, you know, just everyone but Steven Adams seems to have a problem with playing with the guy. And it's just really sad to see. At the same time, he does bring a lot of people into the seats, brings a ton of revenue, and whatever city he goes to just inevitably ends up loving him with the amount of energy and 
effort he brings to the court every single night and the fact that he's kind of a regular season player. So a lot of these guys, well, like a Harden and a Westbrook are just really awesome regular season players and guys you can watch day in, day out, and you know they're going to perform and give you really flashy nights. Just come to expect with guys like that who give it 110% every single night that when they get to the playoffs, they're just going to have too high of a usage and be doing too much for their teams. A lot of times guys like that just inevitably either fall short or just aren't there to make the shots and kind of disappear a little bit. It's very weird. This means for the Oklahoma City Thunder would be a full rebuild for sure as they added, I mean, seven record picks, which is obviously going to be very helpful in that rebuilding process. Shy Alexander Gilchrist. Shy Gilchrist Alexander, excuse me. I knew I was messing that up earlier. I was like, what the heck? Shy Alexander. Shy Gilchrist Alexander who is a really talented point guard, as I mentioned earlier, and someone that they could really use for the future. They also, OKC being, traded away Jermaine Grant, who is definitely their third best player. Crazy to see how far they can fall from just, I mean, basically from the decision to keep Westbrook over Harden and Durant. I think if they keep Durant, they probably could have got a few more people in OKC, like a Paul George, and tried to make it work for that four or five year period where Russ was just getting triple doubles every single day and just basically being a regular season monster and just not showing up. Or if they picked James Harden, then they probably again could have gotten another star to pair with him. It just seemed like Westbrook was so much of a, to be honest, an asshole and just hard to play with that, I mean, no one wanted to go through that. And not to mention with the amount of money they were making, why would they want to go through that? question now turns to who exactly would be willing to pay that $47 million at the latter half of his contract, and who has the money to make a deal like that work. Frontrunner would definitely have to be the Miami Heat, as they just acquired Jimmy Butler, and definitely want to find another star to pair up with him, hopefully a top 25 player. Definitely make, I mean, Westbrook would definitely make a lot of his teammates better. And would be really good, I think, with Eric Spolstra. I think it could do a lot of good for him to have a coach that he respects. And he can't just tell the screw off and I'm just going to you know, make my own play and make it up on the fly. Spolstra definitely won't let him do that. And will hopefully hold him accountable. Make him more efficient. Kind of, you know, turn down, turn down all those turnovers that he seems to get. I mean, he gets like three or four a game for the last few seasons. Just kind of slow down the way he plays and make him realize, like, one, that's not sustainable to play like that, and two, you just don't need to play that hard day in, day out. Like, I love watching it, don't get me wrong. You also just needs to understand that, like, you got to conserve yourself a little bit. Same thing with James Harden. And, you know, maybe you can do that every night, but, I mean, it's the same thing with LeBron James. It's just you figure it out too late in your career. You tend to do it when your body breaks down or when, you know, father time starts to catch up with you. But I think they need to start doing it earlier and maybe not in the primes of their career like Harden is now. But in Westbrook's case, when you're 30 years old, I think it is the time to, you know, mess mess with that usage a little bit, bring down your usage, bring down your minutes, and, you know, start to let your teammates really help you out and, you know, bring, you know, let your teammates bring you to the playoffs and you be the reason you be the X factor to bring them to the next level, not you bring them to the regular season and hope some random X factor comes out of the clouds to save you because that's just not realistic. 
And that's what Harden and Westbrook have been doing for the last two and a half seasons. Enough on this topic. I also think and could see the Houston Rockets being a team that are rash enough to make a move like this and would either give up Clint Capella, who they definitely want to give up to anyone right now, or Chris Paul's horrible contract. I just think that Daryl Morey is someone who's brainwashed himself and convinced himself that his roster is much better than it is, and he'll end up staying put and thinking that his roster he has in place right now is good enough when clearly it is not good enough in a Western Conference that is absolutely loaded with talent. But wasn't the Miami Heat, thinking inevitably it will end up being, the team would maybe be another team that's desperate could be the Pistons, where you try and get rid of Blake Griffin's horrible contract. I mean, if you were really desperate, Celtics could give up Gordon Hayward. I mean, it's obviously just theoretical and in my head, but we could go give up Gordon Hayward's 32 mil a year and someone else added on who was, you know, a Romeo Lankford, someone who they could use for the future. You know, maybe use Russell Westbrook at the shooting guard with Kemba be really cool to see Russ at the shooting guard position and obviously in Boston for me but obviously I don't think that's very realistic I'm just trying to think because I think Miami's pretty much a lock I'm just trying to think outside the box I think it's crazy to see someone like Russell Westbrook fall so far I mean obviously he's still a very wanted player and still a top 15 player in the league but you know to go from breaking Oscar Robinson's record for triple doubles in a season and you know I think at that point if they traded him they probably could have got, you know, a very similar to a Paul George deal where they get all those draft picks. They probably could have got another one of those, like five first round picks to get him. So it's just crazy to see how these teams like OKC and Charlotte just keep holding on to these players and just not willing and basically being stubborn enough. That, hey, they're going to stay and we'll make it work and just not giving them enough talent and support to make it work. You inevitably find yourself in a situation where you lose the player. And in OKC's case, they got Paul George, so they got really lucky and got all those draft picks. But if they didn't get Paul George and didn't convince him in that weird party they had at the beginning of last year's offseason where he randomly made a snap decision to sign another year and to see if it would work. Excuse me, four years to see if it would work. I think they would have been in the exact same position that the Charlotte Hornets are in which is that they have no talent and not really much to do about it. OKC, like I said, did get lucky and got Paul George and all those assets back in return. And I think we'll end up being fine. I just don't think they have a very good front office and I don't really trust their decision making. As far as recently, I just don't think they've made very good decisions. Before I could really see the Oklahoma City falling off, which I, you know, I mean, obviously people give them crap, and just like the Houston Rockets, we say we expect more from you, but at the end of the day, they've still been in the playoffs a lot of seasons in a row, and they've still had a lot of success from a standpoint of always being in the playoffs and, you know, consistently trying to get better and making these little acquisitions, and that kind of all seems to be coming to a close. This could be a new era for Oklahoma basketball where you... You start to see a team more like Charlotte or resembling the Washington Wizards, which is uh, not something you want to hear if you're an Oklahoma City Thunder fan, for sure. By far, my biggest overall takeaway from the last week of free agency is that loyalty in the NBA is completely gone, and it doesn't matter how long you've been somewhere or really what you say and, and as it pertains to like Kyrie or Russell Westbrook or even Kemba saying he wants to stay. 
the end of the day, if your team doesn't support you the correct way and you find yourself one day just waking up and not feeling right about your team, that it seems like you can force your way out within like a fucking week period. So, you know, that really, really tells us that the players are starting to run the league and that it's going to be really interesting when they reach a lockout to, uh, or not, excuse me, when they reach agreements to see if it does go to a lockout just because the players aren't really going to agree with what the owners are saying like they always don't and there's definitely going to be a lot of conflict i think the players have a lot more say and are a lot more vocal than in years past and i really think this could cause issues and again like i said earlier possibly a lockout which would be crazy it has been the renee report really great to be back appreciate you listening i hope you're having a wonderful week free to leave any comments or concerns down below I'm out. Peace.